The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Maybe seated. I've always wondered when reading this particular pericope, just how much did that deaf man know what was going on? By this point in Jesus' ministry, word was certainly getting around. Word of this Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter of Galilee, who could heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, one who spoke with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees, but like the prophets of old, and even with the authority of God himself. That report was surely going around aplenty in those days. But how would a deaf man hear that report? I suppose it's possible that there was some primitive form of sign language and people could get the gist across. And I suppose it's also possible that the man knew how to read, someone else how to write, and he learned that way. But reading from Mark's Gospel, you get the sense that he was kind of just along for the ride. And you can imagine how strange it must have been for him to be home one day just to see his friends and family barge into the room, throw a nice coat on him, grab him, and pull him outside. Where are we going? What are we doing? What's all the fuss? Until at last they bring him to a stranger a man he doesn't know, a man he has probably never seen before. And then that man takes him aside from the crowd with his disciples and starts prodding him of all things. Fingers in his ears, spittle touched to his tongue. What are you doing? What is going on? What is this strangeness? It must have seemed equally strange to the disciples who witnessed it. What are you doing, Jesus? 
Why are we back here in the dark of the alleyway and not out with the crowd? Why are you poking and prodding his ears and his tongue? Why are you talking to him? How strange and how foolish that is. Jesus, this man is deaf. He cannot understand you. Why are you speaking to him? Really, it is a little strange, a little foolish even, to speak to deaf ears, be opened. But then it was equally strange and foolish to speak to a darkened universe and say, let there be light. Or to speak to a barren and lifeless earth and say, let it sprout with vegetation and fruits and life. And yet, those words were spoken. And the most foolish words, the weakest words that pass from the lips of God have a power and a wisdom which man cannot fathom. And so too, when he who spoke the universe into creation says those words, be opened, then deaf ears must open. This is at the heart of what Jesus is doing in his healing. He is showing himself to truly be the God who has power over everything in creation and even power over the bodies of man which he himself has fashioned. And surely everyone who was looking on, who saw him, spoke those words and saw the deaf ears opened, understood that. Perhaps not clearly as you and I today, but they surely knew this man is not just some carpenter. And really those words from Isaiah 29 are what is at the heart of all of this. The promise of God's visitation to his people, the promise that he would set aright all their ills of body and soul, that he would relieve them from the burden of their sin and take away from them the curse of their fallen nature. This is what Jesus is doing for those people. A glimpse in time of the glory to be revealed in the fullness of time when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, when he will set aright spines that have grown weak with age and knees that are feeble with sickness. When all ears will be made to hear, all blind eyes made to see, and everything which sin has wrought on this world is put away forever. And in preparing for this sermon, I was struck by just how rich these few verses are. How loaded they are with prophecy, with testimony to the grace of God, with great doctrines of hope and comfort and the promise of the resurrection of the body. And I don't think it is at all an exaggeration to say that you could read just these words 
every day for the rest of your life and still be surprised by what you find in them. But for today, I think three things should suffice. First, from this reading, we learn that God cares for our bodies. And that seems strange to say. It seems like it should be obvious. Of course God cares. After all, Pastor, isn't that what we confess in the first article of the Creed? Is that not what Luther teaches us when he teaches us to say that God made me and all creatures, gave me body and soul, my eyes and ears and all my senses, my reason and all my faculties, and still takes care of them? And yes, it is something that we sort of intuitively understand. But it's also something that in our day and age, we really need to dwell on more. There is a particular spirit of the age among us that views our bodies as something at best secondary to us, perhaps even detrimental. There are people in this world who through surgery and medicine mutilate their bodies in an attempt to imitate the form of the other gender so that they can feel how they can look rather how they truly feel as though the body were clay to be molded to suit our own desires. And of course there are people in this world who despise the natural use of the body that which God has created for the union of man and woman, that there be a union between the two sexes that leads to the furthering of life. And yet this is despised among many. Men lying with men as with women, women imitating the same, all for the purposes of gratifying their own sexual desires. Again, because to them, what is the body? is meat to be used as the soul sees fit. But it is not just these very modern errors. There's a long history of man viewing his body as something that he uses for his own gain. And indeed, all sin that involves our body stems from this. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, thievery, violence. All of these are misuses of the body which God has created and which God made for holy purposes. For indeed, what man, if he truly believed that his hands were made for serving his neighbor, could ever lift them in rage against another? Or what man, knowing that his tongue was made to sing the praises of God, could ever use it to slander his neighbor. All of these stem from a belief that our bodies exist for us. They exist for what we want to use them for. They exist to accomplish our sinful desires and to slake our sinful passions. But this is not how God has made us. 
God created our bodies for holiness, and he created them for holy purposes. But even stained by sin as they are, yet God still cares for the well-being of our bodies. We see here, again, as I said before, a foretaste of what God is going to accomplish for all. Age, sickness, the decay of this body, these are things that are foreign to God's creation. And God has promised that in the fullness of time, he shall restore our lowly bodies. Raise them from death, raise them from decay, raise them unto immortality and incorruptibility, putting far behind us sin, decay, illness, and all the like. And though today we do not experience that in full, yet we have the promise that even as our bodies age, God is caring for them, that he is giving us all we need in this life, food and drink, clothing and shoes, and all the rest. He gives them to us now in anticipation of the day when he will bring about his good purposes in us and restore our bodies to what they were made to be. The second thing we can learn from this reading is the radical upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. For God did not come searching for people who are all put together and altogether lovely in his sight. Christ was not born for the strong or for the rich or for the proud. He was not born for those who are righteous in their own sight, who confess by their words and deeds that they have no need for him. Christ came for the weak, he came for the lowly, the distressed, he came for those who have been broken by this world and broken by their own sin. He came for people who know that they have no hope in themselves and who despair of any power in themselves. He came for people who know that they need God, that they need one greater than themselves that they need one who can redeem them from sin, one who can make them righteous, one who can unplug their deaf ears, loose their mute tongues, open blind eyes, cast out the fever of sin, and relieve them from the oppression of the devil. Christ came for those, and he promises that all of those who call to him and even those who need to be dragged to him, that they will find his grace, that they will find the healing that they need for both body and soul in him, that they will find in him a death which secures their life and a life which promises them righteousness in the sight of God. And third, from this reading, we learn that Christ accomplishes in us, by the same word, what he accomplished for this deaf man. For indeed, we in our sins were no different. We were deaf to God's word, 
not by impairment of the ears, but indeed because in our sin we did not want to hear what God had to say. Our mouths were mute, unable to call on God as Father, unable to render him good and acceptable praise and sacrifice. But Christ came for us. And he said to our sinful hearts, be healed. Said to our deaf ears, be opened, and to our quiet tongues, be loosed. He said, I claim you as my own in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit through the word and water of holy baptism. And just as surely as the deaf man's ears were opened, what Christ has said of you is truly done. When Christ says you are forgiven of your sins, it is because his word has forgiven you of your sins. When he says that you are righteous in the sight of your Father, it is because his word has made you righteous. And when he says resurrection is stored up for you, the joys of heaven are set aside for you as an inheritance, it is because his word has truly done these things. And for this, we have comfort. We have a surety. We have the certainty that comes from knowing that our salvation rests on him, on his promises, and on his almighty word, and not in ourselves not in our weakness or our frailty, but in his humility and in the might of his word. And it is a sure and certain word. What it is promised is ours. And nothing in this life can take it from us, nor can anything in the life to come. But in him, and through his word, and through the promises that he has given to us, we have sufficiency from God himself. The knowledge that we are in the midst of a new and better covenant than what came before. That we have been made alive by the spirit where we were once dead through the letter. And we have the assurance that today, in the presence of the Holy One of Jacob, that our Lord has redeemed us, that he has visited his people, and that he has healed us by his grace. So then what are we to do except what the man in the gospel reading did? To sing the praises of God, to rejoice in him who has worked such wonders in us through his word, and frankly, to bother the whole world with it. For indeed, how can we be silent when we have received such greatness from the hand of God? How could our tongues ever be mute again when our hearts are so filled with joy in Christ? It is impossible. We cannot contain ourselves. 
And Christ has given us this promise, that the word which we bear on our lips to the world out there is indeed his own word, filled with the same power to convert unto life and resurrection, the same power to forgive and heal and mend all the ills of this world. For indeed, we accomplish none of this by ourselves, but only through him only through the word of him who loved us, who has healed us, and who has promised one day to make us whole again. Amen. <laughs>